0: Welcome to AM Best Audio. I'm John Weber with Best Review Magazine. I'm speaking today to Leah Savajo, Senior Fixed Income Research Analyst who covers the banking sector for AAM. Leah, so glad you could join us today. Thank you. So, Leah, let's start with what happened with the recent bank failures and how are those events impacting the broader U.S. banking sector?
1: Yeah. So the recent bout of bank failures is interesting in the sense that they didn't really start from asset quality issues like we saw during the financial crisis. Instead, the failures were driven by liquidity and asset liability mismatches. Um, The genesis of these failures was Silicon Valley Bank, uh, which, as its name implies, catered to venture capital-backed companies. Um, This client base, as we know, experienced some. growth in capital during a pandemic fueled by ultra-low borrowing costs um, and demand for digital services. Um, And these large sums of money were deposited with Silicon Valley Bank. Silicon Valley Bank in turn invested these uh, large portion of money into liquid and low-risk treasury bonds and mortgage-backed securities. Um, And this is fairly typical behavior for banks, especially in an environment of weak loan growth like we were in at the time. Um, But as interest rates began increasing in 2022, uh, the bank was faced with two problems. Uh, The first was that the value of its securities declined. Um, And the second was that funding markets for venture capital-backed companies started to shut down. And instead of raising cash that was ultimately deposited at the bank, uh, they started spending cash, which in turn led to deposit withdrawals. Uh, We understand that the bank initially dealt with these challenges by offering higher deposit rates and by borrowing in the wholesale market so they could meet withdrawal requests without having to sell securities at a loss. Um, But this became a less viable long-term option because it raised the cost of their funding and weighed on profitability metrics. So in early March, the bank announced that it was undertaking a few actions, uh, one of which was sell a large portion of their available for sales portfolio. Um, and that would generate a loss but could be invested in higher-yielding short-term treasuries. The bank also announced that it was undertaking a capital raise to plug the hole, so to speak, on the losses generated by those sales. Uh, the management team framed the actions as being motivated by profitability pressures, um, but anytime a bank sells assets, uh, liquid assets, at a steep loss, Um, and subsequently raises capital, it's more indicative of a liquidity issue um, and that triggered a tsunami of deposit withdrawal requests. Um, And regulators were forced to step in and close the bank. Um, Now, typically when there's a crisis of confidence at one bank, uh, it can spread very quickly to other banks with similar characteristics. And so in this case, depositors and investors became focused on banks with deposits sourced from venture capital-backed companies, Um, And also, those were large amounts of uninsured deposits. And this is what happened to Signature Bank, which failed two days after Silicon Valley. Signature had become a larger player in the digital asset arena um, and had sourced a large number of deposits through uh, the cryptocurrency channel. It also had one of the largest amounts of uninsured deposits for a bank of its size. So in the wake of Silicon Valley's failure, depositors also started to withdraw rapidly um, and prompting prompted regulators to step in and close the bank. More recently, we had the failure of First Republic Bank, um, and that bank was interesting in the sense that unlike Silicon Valley and Signature, um, the bank operated a primarily retail banking franchise that provided wealth and private banking services to high net worth individuals. But it still had a large amount of uninsured deposits, and its assets, though low risk, had declined in value and couldn't be sold without generating large losses. So in the wake of the failures of Silicon Valley and Signature, First Republic had also experienced massive deposit outflows. Um, And this did trigger a response from regulators and officials that ultimately led to a $30 billion deposit by a consortium of banks. But in the end, what was intended to be a vote of confidence from some of the largest banks in the U.S., Did little to stop the pressure on deposit balances, and this led to First Republic being placed into receivership and ultimately sold to J.P. Morgan. As we stand here today, um, confidence in the regional banking sector remains low, um, and investors are concerned that certain banks, such as Pacific West and Western Alliance, who also experienced substantial deposit outflows in the wake of the Silicon Valley failure, um, may also be vulnerable towards being placed in receivership.
0: Are we in a banking crisis, and what does this mean for the U.S. more broadly?
1: So since the failure of Silicon Valley Bank, uh, we've been closely watching certain data sets published by the Federal Reserve to get a sense for whether this is truly a crisis or isolated to a small collection of banks. Um, And the data suggests that the contagion has so far been limited um, and that deposit flows on a system-wide basis have been relatively stable. Uh, The first data point that we can look to to draw this conclusion is the industry's usage of emergency liquidity programs, such as the discount window and the newly established bank term funding program. Both serve as indicators of funding stress in the banking sector. Um, And the key trend that we've observed is that the combined usage of these facilities is down from the peak level immediately following Silicon Valley's failure. We did see a modest uptick in usage in the last two weeks of April. Um, but there's reason to believe that much of that was related to First Republic uh, since usage collapsed in the week following its receivership. Um, so this suggests that the need for emergency funds is still rather isolated and not at the point of contagion. Uh, the second data point is the flow of system-wide deposits. Uh, since March 8th, U.S. banking system lost uh, 500 and 20 billion in deposits. But on a relative basis, that's only 2.9% of industry deposits. So it's large, but it's not unmanageable. Um, in terms of the pace of outflows since then, we are seeing that after a few weeks of positive flows, deposits have turned negative again. Uh, but the pace of outflows um, is still lower than what we saw immediately following the failures of silicone and signature. Uh, One of the bigger issues that we were seeing uh, was more intense migration of deposits out of smaller banks versus larger banks. And actually, in the first week following the closure of Silicon Valley and Signature, we saw migration into larger banks, which we presume was a flight-to-quality response among depositors. Um, It does seem that flight-to-quality response has lost some steam just based on deposit flows of both large banks and small banks, Um, And one other data point that we've also been watching is bank borrowing from outside of the reserve system. So this includes borrowings from the federal home loan banks, uh, wholesale debt issuance, repo, and things of that. And this is just generally uh, indicative of general liquidity needs. Um, So borrowings on a system-wide basis remain elevated and are running roughly 23% higher than where we were on March 8th. Uh, For smaller banks, their borrowings are 45% higher than on March 8th, which is down from almost 80% in the weeks following the failures of Silicon Valley Bank, but still elevated. For larger banks, borrowings have been a little bit steadier on a week-to-week basis, but overall levels are still elevated, with the most recent release showing that borrowings are 40% higher since March 8th. So the concern here is that even though the contagion has been limited, and deposit flows have been stable, overall wholesale borrowings remain elevated. And these borrowings are typically higher cost uh, than deposits. And so banks rely more on, as banks rely more on these sources of liquidity and funding, it's going to raise their cost of funds, which in turn will likely impact their ability to extend credit um, and ultimately lead to tighter credit conditions across the United States.
0: Are U.S. banks still vulnerable, and what has the government or regulators done in response?
1: Yes, I do think banks are still vulnerable, but I think we're going to start moving away from situations where stresses are caused by acute liquidity issues and asset liability mismatches. The next phase will likely stem from deterioration in lending books as credit conditions tighten from higher funding costs and banks become less able or willing to extend credit. Um, The lending sector that is drawing most scrutiny is commercial real estate, since more than a third of those mortgages reside with U.S. banks. And we know certain segments of commercial real estate are still dealing with structural headwinds that were exacerbated by the pandemic, such as office and remote work. So as credit conditions tighten, asset quality will likely deteriorate and could lead to concerns about a bank's viability. In terms of the response from the regulators, um, there has yet to be any specific changes announced, uh, but the Fed did publish a view of the supervision and regulation of Silicon Valley Bank, and the findings are expected to form the basis for ongoing consideration and rulemaking efforts. Um, The report notes that while the proximate cause of Silicon Valley's failure was a liquidity run, the underlying issue was a concern about its solvency and that the Silicon Valley experience has emphasized why strong bank capital matters. Um, This suggests that regulators will still seek to boost not only liquidity standards, but also capital requirements. Um, In addition to many other items, the report also suggests reviewing interest rate risk, uh, liquidity requirements for uninsured deposits, uh, stress test requirements, and reporting mark to mark losses on in the available for sale security portfolio through regulatory capital, um, which smaller banks can opt out from doing so under the uh, present regulation. Some items that were in the report are already in the works, um, and those include the Basel III endgame as well as long term debt requirements for. Uh, larger banks that are not classified as global, semi-important banks. Uh, The Fed seeks to comment on those proposals soon. Um, But I think at the end of the day, banks, particularly smaller regional banks, are likely to see much stricter regulatory requirements in response to the recent failures and turmoil.
0: What do you think is in store for the banking sector in the near term, Leah? And are the current trends in the market expected to persist?
1: Obviously, things are pretty murky right now. I find it encouraging that some of the banks that have been under intense pressure following uh, First Republic's failures, such as PacWest and Western Alliance, have reported that their depositors are not fleeing. Um, But it's difficult to tell if that will remain the case, especially since equity prices and deposit flows have been operating in sort of a negative feedback loop. Um, if, If investor sentiment remains poor and those banks continue to see pressure in their equity prices, depositors could get spooked and start with withdrawing uninsured deposits. I do think the regional bank sector is uh, facing a longer term set of challenges. So even as we move past these bank failures and depositor behavior stabilizes, uh, deposit balances are still set to decline in response to the interest rate environment and Fed policy. Um, So this means that deposit rates and margins uh, will remain pressured over the next several quarters. Um, there's also a lot of uncertainty over loan growth and the available of credit in the United States as well as to what extent higher funding costs and elevated asset quality concerns and just regulatory uncertainty will weigh on the outlook. Uh, so I don't expect the sector to rebound the pre-bank failure um, sentiment anytime soon.
0: Leah, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you. That was Leah Savago. Senior fixed income research analyst who covers the banking sector for AAM. And I'm John Weber for Best Review Magazine. Looking to get the full attention of the insurance industry? We have the platforms that will do just that. Whether it be AM Best TV, AM Best Audio, Best Review Magazine, or Best Day.